So we have, um, for those of you who are visiting, we have been going through the parables of Jesus as we find them in the Gospel of Matthew. And we were in Matthew chapter 13 for a number of weeks to begin with, where Jesus teaches the disciples things about the kingdom, things that were um, unexpected to them, unexpected ways that that the disciples... um, though they had expectations of what the kingdom would be like when it was established, needed to be corrected by Jesus. And now we come to to Matthew chapter 18, and we come to a very, very familiar and well-loved parable. It's the parable of the lost sheep, and it's in Matthew 18, beginning at verse 10. It's a short one, just 10 to 14. It begins on page 1526 in your pew Bibles, but the words will also be on the screens. Matthew 18, beginning at verse 10. Jesus speaking to his disciples. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, we didn't read it because we started... 10 verses in, but Matthew 18 actually begins with a question. The disciples during this season of their lives, during this season of Jesus' ministry, um, had become preoccupied with, um, with who among them was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And um, it got to the point where, because Jesus over, overheard them talking and arguing about this, Um, in the way Matthew portrays it anyway, they actually went and they asked Jesus about this. They wanted to know, hey, who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so Jesus here answers the disciples' question about greatness in the kingdom by teaching them how they ought to relate to each other, by teaching them to become more aware of their responsibilities toward one another in the kingdom. So the message comes through loud and clear, especially for us that can read it 2,000 years after the fact, but, but the message is this. Instead of worrying about your own kingdom greatness, your position and your reputation and your status in the kingdom, Jesus says, hey, Don't look at yourselves, redirect your attention and your focus to serving other people. This is how you ought to live with one another if you are true disciples in my kingdom. The one who is great is the one who gives himself or herself to service of others and worship with others and ministry ministry of the gospel. Verse 10 sets the stage for telling the parable. 
Jesus says, see that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. He says, see that you do not despise these little ones. And it looks as though Jesus is referring here to those who are weak, those who are small, those who are ostracized, those who are marginalized in the kingdom as it exists in the present time. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That is what Jesus is telling his disciples to focus on here. Focus on one another. Focus on others with a careful eye to those who are marginalized, those who are on the edges of society, those that, those that people often ignore. In the eyes of the world, they may be insignificant, but you, as followers of Jesus, are not to despise them. And why is that? Well, Jesus answers that question too. He says, because even their angels appear before our heavenly Father. The message is that God cares a great deal for these little ones. And Jesus reminds the disciples that he, the Son of Man, came into this world to to save those who are lost, to save even, and perhaps especially those who, who seem to be insignificant in the eyes of the world. And it's within that context that Jesus tells this parable of the lost sheep. And did you notice that he begins with a question? He begins with a rhetorical question. Well, you know, what do you think? I think he asked that question to, to, to regain the disciples' attention because, as I mentioned before, preoccupied with their own greatness in the kingdom, their attention needed to be refocused. What do you think? Stop for a second. Put aside your preconceptions. Put aside what you have been thinking about, the trajectory of what you were thinking about. Put that aside and let's actually think about this for a second. What do you think? He gets their attention with a rhetorical question and then he tells this simple story of a shepherd and his sheep. And we learn in these verses that God cares for his people like a good shepherd. And you have to understand that the idea of a good shepherd was already pretty well established in the Old Testament. Of course, David sings about this in probably one of the most well-known psalms we have, Psalm 23. But that's not even the only place in the Old Testament where God is pictured as a shepherd. In the book of Ezekiel, God charges the shepherds of his people with, with neglecting their work. And, you know, he's speaking primarily to the, the religious and political leaders of that time. They had been given the responsibility of watching over the people, of being the shepherds of the people. And Ezekiel basically says, you have been very, very bad shepherds. God speaking through him said, you have been being very, very bad shepherds to my people. Therefore, I will come and be the shepherd of my people. <clears throat> so in that context, there's this beautiful, 
passage in Ezekiel 34 that talks about uh, a king like King David coming back, returning to do what? To shepherd God's people as their king. And of course, that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ who comes as the great shepherd, the good shepherd of the sheep. Anyway, it's a long way of saying that the the idea of God as a shepherd is already very well established in the Old Testament. And everybody who was hearing this parable that Jesus spoke would have made that connection. They would have been aware of it. They would have drawn the conclusion immediately that that Jesus is talking about a sheep who is lost and the shepherd who goes out to find him because he wants to communicate something to us about the character of God first and foremost. And of course, that is exactly right. The first thing this parable gives us is a description or a descriptor of the character of God. That said, Jesus uses this illustration of a lost sheep to reveal something about God's heart, but that's not all. It also teaches us something about how he wants us to relate to one another in the kingdom. First, notice what Jesus says about God's attitude toward the weak and the small and the lost, those who may seem insignificant in the eyes of the world, those who may even be seen as marginalized in any way, not just those we think of as lost and marginalized, because there are plenty of people in this world and in our lives that seem to have things all together. They don't seem lost at all, but they are. And Jesus wants to show us God's attitude toward those people who are lost. Now, it used to bother me a little bit when I was younger that it seemed in this parable like God cared more about the the one sheep that wandered away than the 99 sheep that were behaving themselves, being good and staying where they were supposed to be. I mean, after all, doesn't this parable say that that he rejoiced over the one that he found more than the the 99 that he had not lost? That just seemed strange to me. Is this parable saying that, that God plays favorites with his children? That there are some he likes and others that he's maybe not so excited about? Well, let me assure you, That is definitely not the point of this parable. That's definitely not the point of this story. Let me clarify. Let me tell you what the point is. The point is that God the Father has a very specific and special concern for each one of us. For each one of us, he is interested and he is involved in the lives of each and every one of his sheep. Isn't that amazing? God, majestic, almighty, bigger than anything that we could imagine, creator of all that we see and more, and he is careful and concerned about each and every one of his children. Yes, Jesus is emphasizing that God loves each and every one of his children. He loves them individually, which means that he knows your 
your tastes, your interests. He knows your struggles and your concerns. He knows your deepest desires. He knows your thoughts before you can even think them. He knows every aspect of our being better than we know ourselves. That is the care he takes. That is the interest he takes in each and every one of his children. And he even shows special concern and care for those who are lost, for those who are off track, those who are weak and marginalized, but also those who are straying, which is all of us, isn't it, at one time or another? following our own passions, our own desires, our own agenda, rather than going before God and saying, what is your agenda for my life? We have all been lost sheep, and perhaps there are some sitting here right now that are lost at this very moment. God has a special concern for you. We know that God is a mighty God, he is a great God. He is the great king above and over all other gods. He reigns over heaven and earth. He is sovereign and he is just. And you know, I've been a Christian for so long that sometimes I forget this. But think about it. When we realize or are reminded that we are lost sinners, that we deserve condemnation, that we deserve punishment, that God has every right to be furious with us. We might not be real quick to approach him because we do know that God is just. We know that he is a God of justice and we know the condemnation that we deserve. And you know, in this parable, Jesus says, Jesus at least implies that yes, yes, all of that is true. God is just. God ought to condemn you. When you have strayed away, God should just let you go and care for the ones who have been obedient because that is what you deserve. Jesus says, yes, yes. That is how it could be, but that's not the way that God is. There's something else you need to know about God as well. God loves to find what is lost. God loves to recover lost sheep. It delights his heart when lost sheep come back to him. That is what we enact every week in our service in, of confession and assurance. We come to God, ask for forgiveness, turn from our sin in repentance toward him, and we ask for the strength to fight the battle for another day. God delights when his lost sheep come back to him. It delights his heart when he actually goes out, pursues, seeks, and finds his lost sheep. And so Jesus says, you need to have both of those things about God, both of those traits in his character weighing in the balance. You need to know both of those things about God, not only that he is just, but that he is a merciful God. 
who delights when sinners are saved and turned to him. And then through this parable, Jesus teaches us something else as well. He teaches us that God's desire for our lives is to go and do likewise. Having shown us the heart of God the Father, Jesus goes on to remind us that we should have the same attitude as God our Heavenly Father, the same attitude toward those who are lost, toward those who are wandering, to those who have uh, offended us, to those who are weak and despised in the eyes of the world. We ought to have the same attitude toward them that our Heavenly Father has. God's attitude toward the lost and the straying. That attitude needs to become our attitude as well. So the disciples had been arguing amongst themselves about who was the greatest. And Jesus pretty much says, well, you know what? This whole discussion doesn't matter anyway because let me tell you about the greatest one of all. He's my father. He's my father, that is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And he tells the disciples, this is what he is like. And that said, if you want to be great in his kingdom, what's the wise thing to do? Think about it. To follow him, to emulate him, to let him shape your heart so that it looks more like his heart particularly toward those who are weak and despised and lost, those who are young and immature in their faith, those who have offended us, those who have gone astray. Jesus wants his followers to move away from self-preoccupation to working toward the greatest good of others, acting toward others how God has acted toward us. David Brown writes, since the whole object and errand of the Son of Man coming into the world was to save the lost, let us take heed lest by causing offenses we injure those for whom Jesus died. And Matthew Henry writes this, if he denied himself so much for their salvation, surely we should deny ourselves for their edification and consolation. So students, do you know brothers and sisters in Christ who are not considered part of the popular crowd? And even though they are brothers and sisters in Christ, even though they are fellow believers, do you sometimes keep your distance from them because you don't wanna put your own reputation, your own popularity on the line? Who are you thinking about more in that situation? Are you thinking about yourselves? Or are you thinking about your fellow citizens in God's kingdom? What about the way that we treat people who stray away from the faith, who fall into sins? I was thinking about that this week. And it seems as though we have one of two opposite reactions. Some people, because we're so morally lax today, just sort of shrug their shoulders. 
When somebody falls into a pattern of sin, we, we just sort of shrug our shoulders and think, well, it's, it's no big deal. A lot of people commit adultery. A lot of people don't tell the truth. A lot of people cheat on their taxes. A lot of people have shady business practices. A lot of people use that kind of language. We go on and on with the examples things that we become so used to that we just sort of, sort of let it slide, shrug our shoulders and say, well, you know, no big deal. Hopefully they'll circle back, but you know, whatever. On the other hand, there are Christians who get so angry and so offended by wickedness that, that they refuse to even consider the possibility of recovering someone who has strayed. And so that's a hardness of heart issue. That's looking with someone and just saying, you know what, they're gone already. So I'm not gonna worry about it and I'm not gonna care about it. Jesus says, uh-uh. Neither one of those ways of thinking, ways of acting is acceptable in my kingdom. You need to keep both of those things in mind. As Christians, we must continue to acknowledge and uphold God's standards as God's standards in this world. And when somebody doesn't reach those standards, when somebody stands there and says, God is not calling me to reach those standards, I'm a believer, but this is an exception that he has made for me, we need to hold people accountable because we love them. At the same time, we must have a deep desire, the deepest desire to see sinners converted or recovered into the family of God. We cannot harden our hearts toward people. One of you in the congregation who has served on council before gave this example when we were talking about someone who was inactive, someone who was disconnected from our congregation, still on our rolls, maybe that is the only thread that is holding them to their faith, the faith that they were raised in. And do we want to cut that thread? That image has stuck with me. That image has stuck with me. Yes, we're not compromising our standards at all. We're saying a sin is a sin. And we are acknowledging that there are people that are living in patterns of sin rebelliously. But as we deal with them, I'd like to imagine that thread, that as long as it's intact, that there is a way back, that there is a way to be found. And those are the people that we need to keep in prayer. Those are the people that we need to maintain soft hearts for. Because to have the kind of heart that God has is to have the kind of heart that desires to see lost people come to or come back to Jesus Christ. John Calvin says this, just to give some weight to my argument here. By his own example, Christ now exhorts us to honor our weak and lowly brethren, for he descended from heaven to be their redeemer, to save not only them, but even the dead, those who are lost, 
<clears throat> and it is unworthy to reject in our pride those for whom the Son of God did so much. For they are not to be addressed according to their own virtues, but according to the grace of Christ. Did you hear that? They are not to be addressed according to their own virtues, but according to the grace of Christ. A wandering Christian is not to be viewed in accordance with his own virtues or lack thereof, but according to the grace of Christ. So then, we ought to desire to see the lost recovered to him. Our God delights in seeing lost sheep reclaimed. As we start to wind down, I want you to notice these words in verse 14. It is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. <clears throat> it is apparent in this passage that God's reclaiming, pursuing, finding, seeking love is a central truth about his character. You know, when I thought about it, we are never told in scripture that God delights in the damnation of the wicked. We are told over and over in his word that God delights in the recovery of lost people, of lost sheep. He does not rejoice in the death of the wicked, but he rejoices when sinners turn and repent and are converted to him. This is a truth of God's word that shapes our very existence, should shape our attitudes and our behaviors, but it should also shape our character and our innermost being. God rejoices when sinners turn and repent and are converted to him. And this is a message for two groups of people. First of all, Jesus' message in this parable is a call, an invitation to unbelievers, to those who have never trusted in him for their salvation. And the implied promise is this, when you trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation, the thing that moves you to trust in Christ alone is a realization and acknowledgement of your sin and your need. You come to understand that you deserve punishment and condemnation for your sin. You understand that you are in desperate need of forgiveness for that sin. And at first, I would imagine that realization is going to terrify you. Why? Because God is mighty and he's just and he's righteous and we deserve to be blasted out of existence. But Jesus says to you, yes, even though God is mighty and awesome and righteous and just, at the same time, he delights in seeing lost sheep returned to his folds. And so going to him and trusting him is exactly what he wants because he has commanded to you in his word to put your faith in him. So if that's you this morning, that is my invitation to you as well. And of course, this is a message for followers of Jesus as well, that God delights in the recovery of lost sinners. 
and that we need to live our lives with the same kind of heart that God our Heavenly Father has? Do you live to see people turned back to Christ? Do you live with that kind of concern for one another? When we see brothers and sisters in our own congregation or related to it, straying from God, whether it, whether it be by a deliberate rejection of him, whether it be by engaging in some kind of immorality, or whether it simply be by drifting away, do we care enough about them to do the hard work of love, of tough love? Do we desire to see brothers and sisters being gained or regained to Christ, or do we just not care all that much because I'm in and really that's what matters? In this passage, Jesus shows us the heart of his Father. Then he calls believers to act like him because we are a visible picture to the world of what God our Heavenly Father is like. A God who desires to see his flock grow and flourish in every way. A God who provides for all of his people salvation, forever fellowship, and joy. And that, brothers and sisters, is worth living for. Let's pray.